The problem is that we know that the biggest procrastinators are actually people that are, are very smart and uh, very creative. But they are smart and creative in uh, coming up uh, with excuses and often in front of themselves. So basically, you use your intelligence against yourself with those rationalizations. You can always come up uh, with an excuse why not to start running today or why to postpone this project uh, for next month or whatever. So basically, uh, the problem is that the, the main enemy of success is inside of our heads. And it's our intelligence and creativity that we use against our best interest. Guys, welcome to the show. I'm Joe Horton. On the Guild of Dad show, we unwrap weekly the incredible stories, skills, and expertise of the world's most captivating dads and experts, along with topics and stories that will captivate you and impact your life. If you're an existing listener and you listen to the podcast on a regular basis, thanks for your ongoing support. It really means a lot to me and what I'm doing with Guild of Dads and also over on the Dad Circle, the exclusive brotherhood that I run. Um, If you're a new listener to the podcast, then thank you for discovering us. I hope you get something from the episodes that you hear. There's a ton of uh, back catalogue now that you can go back through with a load of different topics on there. And I really do... I hope that a lot of it resonates with you. Uh, I had a bit of an unplanned break in the last couple of weeks in the sense that I run a Guild of Dads podcast alongside my day job and also fitting in a young family as well. And I needed a couple of weeks off just to uh, take a bit of a breather. So I'm plugged back in now and uh, we've got some really good episodes coming up in the next little while. I appreciate you guys tuning in and getting behind the podcast and what I'm doing here. It spurs me on, it motivates me and inspires me to forge ahead with Guild of Dads and help as many dads as I can through the conversations we have. If you like what I'm doing, you can reach out on social media, on Instagram and Facebook. We also have a Guild of Dads Facebook group over there on which we have some really good conversations. So that's the Guild of Dads Facebook group. And my aim is to help dads sort their lives out. And the podcast and the content and everything I put out is about helping guys to really kind of level up their lives and what you think is possible for you as a dad and as a man in order to help you uh, make the maximum impact on yourself and others all around you in all areas of your life. We interview on here fascinating individuals, best-selling authors, entrepreneurs and ultra-athletes, professors, psychologists and also some ordinary dads just like you doing some extraordinary and impactful things. We give you actionable resources that you can take away and use. I have conversations with men, dads and experts to transfer their practical knowledge, insight and expertise that you can apply to improve your physical health, mental health, relationships, career and the way in which you show up to the world as a role model to the next generation. And these are important conversations because the world is shifting so fast right now and getting clarity on this stuff means you can make an impact on yourself and those around you. So what's today's episode about? Today I'm talking about something that plagues us all, which is procrastination. It's this fear, this putting things off, this hesitating. And I did a quick poll in my Facebook group recently, and procrastination was the number one thing holding the majority of dads back, which makes it a big problem because it begins to kind of creep into our lives in quite an incessant way and the reason it's a big problem is that we end up getting in our own way but it's intrinsically linked 
to one of the pillars of Guild of Dads, which is meaning. And that's what we unpack on today's episode. Today I speak to keynote speaker, best-selling author of the book, The End to Procrastination, and founder and CEO of Procrastination.com, Peter Ludwig. Having discovered the problems of procrastination when trying to complete his studies, Peter has been on a mission ever since to find out the science behind procrastination, how procrastination operates, and helping others to overcome procrastination via his work. And he's a sought-after individual on this topic, having worked with Cisco, Deloitte, Dell, Microsoft, and Stanford University, amongst others. If you ever wonder how some of my amazing guests get to where they are in life, the athletes, the entrepreneurs, those making a massive impact on the world, I can tell you that pretty much all of them follow a very deliberate plan or system of some kind. This is, is exactly what I do too, and I'm revealing how you can implement a plan and system in your own life completely free in my ebook, The Dad Blueprint, over at guildofdads.com forward slash dad. That's dad in capital letters. Incidentally, Many of the people I interview on this show will be leveraging the power of similar systems to radically level up their lives and transform into the men and dads they always wanted to be. So you will be in amazing company. And now, to my conversation with Peter Ludwig. Peter, welcome to the Guild of Dads podcast. Hey, and thank you for having me. It's an absolute pleasure. It's an absolute pleasure. Now, I've been burying my head in your recent book, The End to Procrastination, in the uh, last few days. And I've got to say that it's a tour de force. I really enjoyed it. And uh, for a number of reasons, not least because it really simplifies and breaks down a, a difficult subject in a very kind of, I won't say easy way, but an easy to understand way. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Yeah, that you enjoyed my book. That's that's the best feedback. <laughs> what was the kind of, you know, the the inspiration behind the book mm. and the start of your kind of fascination with the whole idea of procrastination in the first place? Yeah, uh, I'm entrepreneur. So, and I had my first company when I was 20 years old, and in that time I was studying two universities. So, at the time I was. Uh, a big procrastinator, but I had to push myself to find a solution or to find a way how to handle those uh, free projects because I was studying law, I was studying uh, computer science and data science, and I was uh, I was working uh, and I had my own startup. So in that time, uh, I was thinking like I should be able to just accomplish more. And in that time, a friend of mine, he was studying uh, psychology and he, I remember that day he came to me and said like, oh, we are procrastinators. And I was like, what? What is procrastination? Because in the time, the, the word was not that popular. Uh, and uh, now it's, it's kind of a global pandemic of procrastination. But in that time, like 15 years ago, uh, it was not that common uh, word uh, in in other languages. Of course, in English it was, but in our languages now it's it's uh, international word for mm. for procrastination. Like uh, everybody is using that. But uh, in that time, I've started to read some scientific papers because it's my uh, hobby to read papers. <laughs> in my uh, free time, I read scientific papers, and there is kind of. Uh, nice knowledge of what we can do 
but there is a huge gap between what science knows and between what we do in our daily life. So I was thinking like, okay, let's uh, bridge this gap. And I've started to do some workshops, first for my colleagues, then for some students, then for some companies. And after a few, few years, uh, a, a publisher approached me and asked me like, oh man, do you want to write a book about procrastination? <laughs> I was like, okay, let's try it. And it was twice painful when I was procrastinating writing about procrastination. And it was twice painful. So I had to accomplish that because <laughs> um, I had no chance to just postpone the book about procrastination. So, And mm. luckily, it was one of the best decisions in my life because uh, now the book is out. It has 20 translations. So it changed my life a lot. And I hope that uh, it can change a uh, life of uh, many uh, mm. to help them or to overcome their procrastination too. Yeah, I'm sure it will. I think uh, one of the things I heard once before said about entrepreneurs is that they is the, their biggest regret is that they didn't start what they started much sooner when they first came up with the idea for it. And I think sometimes it's, I think it's like something like five to six years on average, people wait right. before acting on an idea. And I think the, The word procrastination is it's similar to kind of perfectionism in the sense that kind of perfectionism used to be kind of something that was held as a kind of like you know a virtue but actually mm -hmm. perfectionism now has become like actually like a handicap in the modern world in the same way as procrastination people would have said well that's just someone hesitating i think mm -hmm. it's a lot deeper than that and it goes and it goes a lot deeper into our psyche than actually the word suggests which is why it's such a fascinating subject. Right. Yeah. The problem is that uh, we know that the biggest procrastinators are actually people that are, are very smart and uh, very creative, but they are smart and creative in uh, coming up uh, with excuses and often in front of themselves. So basically you use your intelligence against yourself with those rationalizations. You can always come up Uh, with an excuse why not to start running today or why to postpone this project uh, for next month or whatever. So basically, uh, the problem is that the, the main enemy of success is inside of our heads and mm -hmm. it's our intelligence and creativity that we use against our best interests. Interesting. That does make a lot of sense. And, and, I, and, and I, funny enough, I remember... When I was younger, I used to do a lot of cycle racing, and there was one guy, and I'm not going to make, I'm not going to use his real name. I'm just going to let's call him Dave. But Dave wasn't he wasn't a bright guy, you know. He wasn't an intelligent guy. He was he was very the you know the opposite of that. And that's not to mean it like, like in a like a derogatory way, but he won a lot of bike races because he didn't overcomplicate the process of, yeah. of of winning bike yeah. races. Yeah. It, 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 someone just said to him, "Look, you just need to do do what you need to do to cross to put your wheel across that finishing line first. And he didn't right. overcomplicate it. He just right. made yeah. sure that he was always in a position whereby he was either at the front of the pack or he was in the break or whatever he, wherever he needed to be to make yeah. that happen. And it became an an uncomplicated thing to do. Whereas other guys were thinking, should I go now? Should I wait?" Should I sprint? Should I conserve energy? Should I? And it became so complicated that they came nowhere. 
Right. Yeah. And actually, uh, it's it's hundred uh, percent true. Sometimes you truly have to act, but uh, many people are stuck with this overthinking and uh, with this what is called decision paralysis. Like the more choices you have, the more difficult it is to choose at all. And we live in a very complex world. Like uh, the complexity is crazy. Yeah, we uh, have to be systematic we have to be creative we have to be able to work with people we have to uh, work with technologies and in the end we are overwhelmed and it's very easy to overthink things because uh, <laughs> it's easy like this uh, in mm -hmm. this complex world you can always uh, spend endless time on your social media you can uh, spend time on uh, just reading some random articles on Wikipedia but at the end uh, the more information you have, It's not easy to make a decision. It's it's more difficult. So sometimes I highly recommend people to be like the guy in that film, Yes Man, just to tell yourself yes and to just act and try it. And at the end, it's uh, probably much better than to overthink because we have uh, a lot of scientific data that uh, even though if you fail, at the end, you feel much happier than those people that never try. Mm. It's interesting. What do you think? Uh, what do you think of the modern world? I mean, I've got uh, I've got a glass of water here, and sometimes I feel like people talk about bandwidth. You can't see this glass of water if you're listening to this, but I'm holding up a pint glass, which is half full up with water. Sometimes I people talk about bandwidth a lot these days, and I often feel like my head is like a glass of water, and it's only got a certain amount there. And when it gets up to kind of the top, and it's about to spill over the edge. I can't put any more information in there. Right. Yeah. And you talk about this and you talk about this concept in the book, don't you about freeing up the, the kind of cognitive load that's going on in your brain. Right. Yeah. I, I have some uh, ideas about this and my, the most favorite idea is uh, that I'm a minimalist. I love simplicity and that's why I go to Japan every year, every year. That's my like life rule to go to Japan for one month. Mostly I go there alone and uh, I'm trying to just um, get rid of all those distractions there. And after uh, those months, when I go back to the US or Europe, I'm like three times more productive. It's like a battery in your cell phone. And sometimes when the battery is uh, broken, you are trying to recharge it, but it doesn't work. You have to buy a new battery. And the new battery for me is that uh, one month in Japan because then I'm uh, for me it's much easier to like uh, recharge my energy after that every day and I am much more creative and I can accomplish like three times more. So it's an investment. I, I'm like one month uh, alone doing nothing, but the next three months I am able to accomplish three times more. So it's like an investment. So sometimes you need this big restart yeah big restart of your energy or your uh, imaginary battery mm -hmm. but then you also need to restart your energy on a daily basis or uh, during the day basically because uh, we know that if you are tired uh, your willpower is, is is much weaker so the best thing to do is to like focus on on your work for one hour or two hours and then to have a break and go for a walk or to do kind of short mindfulness, 10 minutes of meditation or whatever. But you have to like restore your uh, 
glass of water or you, you have to restart your energy because if you are unable to restart it, then your your energy or what is called a cognitive resource is, is drained and you procrastinate even more. And the more you procrastinate, then you have more regrets and you procrastinate even more. So procrastination is like a feedback loop and you have to somehow like cut it in the middle. And the best way is to have a good rest because if, if you uh, have time off, then your energy goes up again and your willpower then is stronger and then you can uh, be able to start again with your project and and, and so on. So yeah. that's the main difference of being uh, a workaholic because being a workaholic, uh, workaholics are also procrastinators because they are procrastinating having a rest. So they can work, I don't know, two, uh, 12, 14 hours in a row, but they have uh, almost no energy and those outcomes are not uh, that great. The low quality outcomes. Yeah, the thing that sprung into my head when you were talking about that uh, was, uh, particularly in the book, was kind of almost being, you know, like the race with the hare and the tortoise in the race where the kind of, where it, it, where, it, where, it, where the where the tortoise goes slowly but measured and does it properly whereas the hare just goes off and the and and the tortoise is the one that wins the race in the end and and it's interesting how we've kind of all bought into this kind of hustle and grind kind of mentality of you know you're not a man if you don't take if you don't work through your lunch break and lunches for wimps and all this kind of stuff but in actual fact that's having a having an effect on our output and the quality of what we're doing. And uh, people are beginning to realize that after, you know, all these years and decades of probably since 1970s of work till you drop, you know what I mean? Right, yeah. So we we both have the uh, favorite saying or the favorite concept that we need two main ingredients in life. First, we need to have a vision and then we need to be able to perform an action. And I truly love one Japanese saying. Uh, it's an old Japanese proverb, and it follows like this. Uh, a vision without action is a dream, and action without vision is a nightmare. And this uh, quote or this proverb beautifully summarizes two main problems that uh, we all have. At the first part of the pro- proverb, Vision without action. Yeah, those are those New Year's resolutions. We all want to eat healthier. Yeah, we all want to exercise a little bit more. We all want to get up with the first uh, alarm clock in the morning. But at the end, in the present moment, we often do something completely different. Yeah, we are procrastinating. We are overeating. We are uh, snoozing the <laughs> the alarm clock in the morning, and. Uh, that's the first part of the proverb, yeah? vision without action. It's a dream. It's, it's, it's purely about uh, you know what to do, but you are unable doing that. But what is even worse is the second part of the proverb, uh, action without a vision. It's a nightmare. And I have so many examples. Uh, I have many friends uh, working in big corporations. They are like... Um, like successful in terms of uh, external point of view. They have the best universities. They are managers in big firms. But at the end, uh, they are empty inside. They lack lack purpose. And that's the second part of the proverb. Action without vision can be truly a nightmare. And now we have a lot of uh, long-term scientific 
studies that uh, are showing us that lack of purpose is one of the main uh, or one of the key uh, sources of depression in Western world. So basically, we need both. We need to find or uncover our vision, the purpose, both in life or at work. Then we need the second ingredient. We need to uh, have a willpower to, um, or sometimes we need to have the courage to change something in our life. But basically, it's all about willpower to just do those small steps, but daily and fulfill the vision with some uh, some actions uh, that are meaningful to us. And if we are able to just follow this simple Japanese proverb, this simple rule, uh, my experience is that at the end, uh, you are much more fulfilled on a daily basis. You have much more uh, positive moments during the day because uh, sometimes times, uh, time stops for you, you are locked in the, this uh, state of flow in, in the moment that you are fully focused on what you are doing, but you are growing uh, gradually. And at the end, uh, it's just the exact opposite of procrastination. Because if you are procrastinating, you are unhappy in the present moment or you are unable to uh, work on something meaningful. But if you uh, are in a state of flow, if, if you are working on meaningful activities, and you have kind of synergy between uh, your rationality because your rational brain is telling you, well, this is a good thing that uh, what you are doing, but also you are you have positive emotions. So it's like a win-win mm-hmm. uh, scenario between uh, positive emotions, but uh, your rationality is uh, also telling you that you are going, doing something good. Mm-hmm. So what more? Yeah, what more uh, in life than uh, enjoy the process and love what you are doing? Yeah. Very sad because if I ask my clients, like how many percent of time you do something meaningful, they are like uh, 20 to 80 percent. And I was telling them, oh, I have the same. But at the end, we realized that they have like 20 percent meaningful, 80 percent meaningless, and I have 80 percent meaningful and 20 percent meaningless. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> and one thing that I think people will take away from that, listen to that, is and is that why? Well, okay, my job. You know, I I have to uh, I have to work a certain amount of hours, and I have to do this. And you know, my one thing I think that comes up quite a lot when it terms when it, in terms of the kind of modern workplace is, oh, I'm always contactable, and it seems like I've not got any boundaries, and I can and uh, I have to do what my boss says or the expectations because otherwise someone else might be might uh, be willing to do it, or there's this kind of sort of constant pressure. If you can't find stuff that's kind of meaningful within your kind of work, is it a case where that you would need to look for something? I mean, a lot of people, like for instance, a lot of dads listen to this. They may be, you know, they may be coaching sports teams, or they may be getting, uh, they may find their meaning outside of work. They may be helping with charities or doing something for, that has a social impact on their communities or the world around them. But it's it's a difficult one to kind of actually say well actually no my day job is maybe not going to give me that i might need to look elsewhere for it and at what point does actually reach a point where actually i don't want to do my day job anymore i want to see whether i can make money out of the stuff that actually i really enjoy doing that's a kind of difficult balancing act for a lot of people i think uh i think that you can have two uh strategies first is uh love what uh you're doing 
or the second one is do what you uh, truly love. Mm. And uh, my experience with my clients is that if they read those self-help books and they read like uh, do what you love, it's it's a failure because they don't know what they love. So for me, the better strategy is what is called a, a job crafting. It's a scientifically proven way how you can fall in love in whatever you are doing. Yeah, so uh, basically, it has few steps. First mm-hmm. is uh, like uncover your strengths and try to use them uh, on daily basis. So basically, if you are using your strengths, then you enjoy the process even more. And the second uh, important part is uh, ask yourself what are your values and how you can uh, again like deploy or use those values on daily basis and how you can use uh, this uh, like the work that you are doing in in something uh, meaningful. So basically, you can have a meaningless uh, task, but you can uh, then help your colleagues with something, or you can. Uh, you can ask your clients what they truly need and you can do that uh, one more step for them uh, forward that is not in your job description, but at the end, uh, this small step forward can uh, give you those positive emotions. So uh, basically, uh, Amy Rzeznecki, that she is the author of this, uh, this concept of uh, job crafting, she's from the Yale University, a famous psychologist and she did a research in one uh, hospital and what he found what she she uh, found was that uh, all all professions they had free um, like attitudes to work first was job they were they were doing the 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 job just for money so she calls this job then uh, the second group was calling uh, no not career they did it because they were like growing on some, uh, let's say, corporate ladder, or uh, basically this is motivation with ego, like you are much more important or whatever. And the third part was the most important part, and it was calling, like the purpose part. And uh, what she found was that uh, in all all uh, jobs, in all uh, domains, you have these free free groups. And uh, it doesn't mean if if you are a, a uh, doctor, at the end you have uh, much more purpose. No, it, it was not like that. Even uh, janitors they had the same ratio of of purpose people in that hospital. So uh, it's not about the uh, job description. It's not about uh, the the work itself it's more about mindset so you can change the mindset about your work and then you are able to love your work even more it's interesting and a lot of people will take strength from that because i think that it gives an indication there is something you can do if you want to if you want to make work more meaningful and it seems to be intrinsically linked to not only just your values as well but also your ability to give value to the people that you're serving exactly. through your exactly yeah so it's aligning that the giving of value with your own values as well yeah uh, for example there was a case of janitor and uh they did they, they uh, interviewed her and uh she was in a group of this uh calling with, with uh the, the purpose group and uh she said that um 
like if she's cleaning in in that hospital she's always like trying to uh have a small chat with those patients and uh she said that she's helping them to have a better day and uh she's uh, bringing some positive emotions so basically it was not her describe uh, job description her job description was to clean the the room and it, 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 that was it but uh she described her job as uh the one that is uh, bringing some positive emotions to an uh, empty lives of patients in the hospital so mm. yeah yeah and i think it's and i think the word is sanitized it's interesting to use the use the example of janitors because i think sometimes and i've noticed this in the last couple of decades a lot of kind of particularly business relationships have become and i think it's because people big corporations are worried about bribery and corruption and influence and whatever but i think the, the problem is is i think that they've in some respects they've almost overly sanitized the way people do operate and and in in doing that they've stripped away the kind of human element that right, enables yeah. the kind of coherence and the community and the and the value and the meaning to come from those those relationships and when you look back to kind of um when i look back to kind of my parents generation there was you know people would still go out for a drink or they would go for a drink with their their customer or their supplier or whatever um now that still happens but i think there is there is kind of boxes around it in the sense of people are like well this has to be within the rules and stuff and um so it's it's a very difficult one because it's it's human nature to want to i think kind of uh develop a bit more of a kind of uh personality and authenticity and be real with the people you're dealing with but i think the modern world makes that very difficult yeah that's why i love japan that's the second reason why i love japan because uh you have the highest level of service yeah, even though if you are in a small village uh and you go shopping you always have very kind uh shop assistants and you can feel that it's not fake yeah? sometimes if you are in the us you feel that the smile is fake yeah it's like oh welcome but you feel that it's like empty yeah? and uh, but in japan you feel something truly like deep uh, and you can feel the connection with those people because for them it's truly a life purpose yeah it's life purpose to to be a uh, good servant or to um, to deliver the perfect service to you and uh, they are proud of that that's very mm -hmm. important they are proud that they are working there and that's why you have the the best uh not just level of service but you have some best restaurants in Japan like those uh sushi restaurants that um those chefs are working there up to their 95 years or whatever and yeah. they are trying to do a slightly better sushi every day and i love this kind of concept like if you do something and whatever it is try to be a uh, healthy perfectionist healthy mm. perfectionism means that uh you you have to be perfectionist in those important parts mm. and then is uh, unhealthy perfectionism unhealthy perfectionism means that uh you don't need to have a perfect uh to 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 pimp up every uh, email to the perfect level you don't need that but in this those important parts 
it's very nice to be perfectionist like those Japanese uh, sushi masters mm. because then you enjoy the process even more. So this is the solution of uh, having a fulfilling job because whatever you do, try to be a perfectionist in those important parts. Mm, the bits that matter. So f- basically, find find your own sushi. <laughs> I like that analogy. Find your own sushi. Yeah. We've, de- we've, de- we've delved into quite a lot on the subject of on the subjects of meaning, and we come off uh, because it's so because it because it intrinsically links to how you talk about procrastination. Now, most people will be kind of familiar with the, you, you know distraction and staring into space when they're kind of actually procrastinating. Um, but how much of a sort of part does kind of overwhelm time and actual perfectionism play in procrastination in terms of kind of psyching us out of what we know we need to be doing? Yeah, that's a very complex question because uh, <laughs> I think that sometimes uh, what I feel is that procrastination is not a time management problem. It's more emotional management problem. Mm-hmm. So. It depends on the task and it depends how the task connects uh, to your life vision. Okay. So sometimes uh, I know that I have to do something that is truly unpleasant to me, but it connects with my uh, purpose. So it connects with my vision. So uh, I am able to push myself and at the end, uh, I'm like deploying all my strategies. I'm trying to cut the big task into smaller parts and I am trying to like uh, have a great sleep the day before, not to have a big party because if you party a lot the next day, your willpower is completely, uh, <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> completely empty. You are completely. Uh, if you scan a brain, or if you're being uh, polite, you can use the F word. It's completely yeah, fine. Yeah, I, I was uh, having that word in my uh, mind. <laughs> so, and th- there was a nice study. So they. Uh, they did a fMRI brain scan of people after party, and what they found was that the higher brain uh, parts there completely switch off. So you are just <laughs> uh, like evolutionary; you are just downgrading yourself <laughs> if you are after the party. So yeah, but uh, to your question, well, uh, so. The main idea is that uh, procrastination is not a time management problem. It's more about uh, management of emotions. So you have to ask yourself, like, if you are procrastinating something and you have a negative emotion towards the task, why so? Is the reason that uh, it uh, doesn't connect with your purpose or is the reason that the task is too big or is the reason that you you don't have enough skills for that or... uh, what what is it, the reason why you have this uh, negative emotion? And uh, this is the best way how to find a solution because sometimes uh, it's about to cut the big task into smaller ones and you decrease the negative emotions and you're done. Yeah? So it's, it's very simple. Sometimes uh, it's about to have the courage to say no because sometimes uh, my to-do list, my to-do list is full of priorities of others. Because it happens when I didn't have, have a courage to say no. Mm. So sometimes you are procrastinating things that you had uh, no courage to say, I just don't want to do that. 
So, uh, and then there are so many like reasons and uh, perfectionism is, is one of those, yes. So you are basically procrastinating because uh, you are trying to make it perfect, but uh, because you are just procrastinating to work on something more important, for example. Yeah. Mm. So that's why some people, for example, you can uh, see your colleague uh, at work And it seems that he or she's very productive. She's working all the time, yeah, replaying all those emails. But she can be the biggest procrastinator because probably uh, she uh, or he should work on something more important. So uh, from outside, you cannot recognize a procrastinator because uh, those people that uh, reply to your emails almost instantly, they are not the best guys in terms of productivity. They are mm. probably procrastinating something even more important because if you have your life vision if you have your priorities then uh for example in my case sometimes i don't check my email for many many days in a row because i am working on my new book for example or i'm working on my big tasks and uh basically my email is full of priorities of others not mine so mm -hmm. if you are checking your email or if, or if you are replying all the time it means that you are probably uh, procrastinating something meaningful or something much more important. Mm, yeah, that's interesting because I had that this morning, funny enough, because I blocked out time to do something this morning and and then just about five minutes into uh, doing it, my my phone went off and in the end, it, and, and, and I looked at it and I was like, oh, this isn't important. So in the, in the end... I can't remember if I put my phone in the other room or put it on airplane mode or I did something just to just stop it from being, from being a distraction so I could carry on with what I was doing. And, and I managed to kind of get a, get a start on what I was doing. And one of the things that I've been kind of doing, I, I can't remember, I might've picked this up from Greg McEwen's book possibly or another similar book. One of the things I do is just have like a little penny and literally as for each hour of solid work, I just, I think it's in Cal Newport's book, isn't it? I think just put a penny on the, on the side. So just, so, so this, so today I've got five pennies on the side, which is, so that's five hours of blocked out kind of deep work sort of thing. And yeah. uh, you can do, if you're listening to this, you can do that or watching, you can do that with, you can do that with anything. You can do it with beads, you can do it with marbles, you can do it with any, any inanimate object but it gives you that sense of like it builds the kind of um, I think what you called it was self regulation is the word. Right. I have a great tip for uh, you and for your listeners. <laughs> and the name of the app is forest. And basically the app is very simple. You choose how many minutes you want to be without distraction. For example, you said 30 minutes and then you push the button plant. And it plants a tree. And if you leave the app, uh, the tree dies. So basically, it uh, you don't want to have a forest with uh, dead trees. So it, help you, uh, it helps you to uh, stay focused because if you just leave the app, the tree dies. So And I have a huge uh, forest and with healthy trees. So the more you use this app, the higher is the chance that you just don't want to Uh, screw up your beautiful forest with a dead tree so it works perfectly to me so if i'm writing or if i'm working on something truly important i always uh, plant a tree and i know that uh, these 30 minutes i will be 
100% focused without social media, without uh, notifications, because uh, I just want to have a healthy tree in my imaginary forest. So basically, it, I think that the, the um, app is brilliant in terms of your, uh, uh, your emotions, because it's, it's, uh, it's focused on your empathy to your imaginary trees, and it works somehow. So it's brilliant. I love this idea. So I recommend you the yeah. app is Forest. Gents, I'm going to jump in here quite quickly. Now, if you're a regular listener, you may or may not know that this year I formed an exclusive brotherhood of dads called the Dad Circle. And some of the men who have joined are making some remarkable changes to their lives, their physical health, mental health, and relationships, accomplishing things that they didn't think were possible for them before joining. As a member, you get access to a proven system of self-improvement, daily accountability check-ins to keep you on track and weekly team calls, monthly topics and challenges. Not to mention a bunch of other dads encouraging you and cheering you along the way. Now, if this sounds like something that you would benefit from and you want to check it out, then you can do so over at www.thedadcircle.com forward slash join. That's thedadcircle.com forward slash join. If you're driving right now or doing something, do a pause, rewind a few seconds and jot the link down. Then go and check it out. If that wasn't enough, right now you can try it out for £1. That's just £1 for your first seven days. I can't say fairer than that. £1 could be the best investment you ever make, so try it out today. Yeah, one thing is another good thing which I've tried recently. I think this was from atomic habits he james clear suggests he gets his i think his assistants change his social media passwords but don't give him the passwords now another way you can (laughs) (laughs) another way you can do it is uh by uh what what have i done so so you basically use a random password generator which is going to generate you a difficult password and then you change all your social media passwords using that and then log then basically you log out um so that so and when i say log out you log out so that you're actually not temporarily logged off but properly logged off so you have to use the password to log back in and then you just kind of like put the password in a piece of paper in a safe place but a difficult place for you you to get to so that it creates the resistance needed so that you don't just check you have to log on if you it's diff it's an annoying thing you have to do if you want to log on and check social media yeah Uh, but uh yeah, it does. It does work. It does work. And it works. Yeah, because our habits, uh, they are kind of simple. Yeah, we have triggers, then we have the emotion, then we do something. And if you uh, just decrease the uh, the negative emotion, for example, if you have to write a long password or whatever, then uh, you are basically procrastinating visiting your Facebook because you are lazy to write a long password. So. I love these hacks because uh, they are mostly based on science and uh, in science they call call this uh, commitment devices and uh, in the field of behavioral economics you have so many examples of these um, commitment devices so you can just hack your uh, brain by those simple uh, tools and at the end you are a better person yeah yeah it builds that self-regulation and self-integrity and uh 
and and what someone I know calls it the integrity gap. It's narrow, narrowing your kind of integrity gap. One thing you talk about in the book as well, and I've come across this before, Peter, is this idea of extrinsic and intrinsic motivation. Right. Can you tell yeah. me what that means and how how I'm going to segue into something else from this around the subject of goals just to kind of give you the heads up on it so you know where I'm going. But for people that are listening, what, what is it, what is the difference between extrinsic and intrinsic motivation in terms of our inclination to want to do things and how that plays out? Yeah, there are so many studies on uh, motivation, but uh, one of those biggest studies uh, is a meta-analysis. So basically they took all research in the field and they did the research on those uh, studies. And the outcome of this meta-analysis is that uh, extrinsic motivation, like the carrot or stick or whatever, uh, it's not good in uh, tasks that you need to use your brain or creativity. So if if those tasks are manual or you use your uh, hands, then at the end uh, you can push yourself to be quicker, for example. But if you need your creativity or basically cognitive skills, you cannot push your brain to be quicker. So it means that the more you push someone with extrinsic motivation, and it doesn't matter if you use uh, rewards or punishments, for the brain, it's kind of same. If you don't uh, get the reward, it's a punishment to you. Mm -hmm. So if you push someone doing something, at the end, uh, he has a higher higher level of uh, stress hormone cortisol. And stress hormone cortisol, uh, it switch basically it uh, switches off these uh, higher parts of the brain. So basically, if you are stressed out or if you are under the pressure, your uh, higher cognitive skills are are uh, very uh, weak and you are unable to solve uh, these creative problems at all. So what works much better is what is called intrinsic motivation. And it starts with your decision that you truly want to do that. So autonomy is, is important because uh, there is a huge difference if you do something that you want to do or if you just must, uh, or if you are pushed. So uh, that's why uh, the first tool in the book is called personal vision. And the word personal is truly important because sometimes we are doing things for others. Yeah, We are doing things for our parents to make them happy. We are doing things that uh, just others are doing. So we are basically a part of the crowd and uh, we don't know why we are doing those things. But in one moment in life uh, that is truly important, we have to take a full responsibility for our lives. So we have to uh, not to be a victim of circumstances, but we have to be uh, someone who's uh, making decisions for her or himself. So, and I think that in life there are two main uh, days: the first that we uh, were born, and the second when we took the full responsibility. And that's sometimes or mostly that's the moment when we come up with our life. A purpose life vision so mm -hmm. that's the moment when we take the full responsibility and uh starting uh from there 
you have much more intrinsic motivation. So you can uh, you you are able to overcome obstacles in life. Uh, you are able to uh, restart after the failure, so you can uh, get up again and continue and so on. So for me, this is a, a very critical concept of of people that they are own that they are under influence of extrinsic motivation and uh people that they took the responsibility and uh, they lived their lives so then they have intrinsic motivation mm-hmm. and i think that plays into the whole idea of societal expectations as well because many people are doing what they're doing because it's what they think like you say it could be parents or it could be family or it could be the culture they live in that's the expectation that they must do this or they must do that and then this creates a perfect storm in terms of um being on the hamster wheel of life where you're kind of like i'm doing all this stuff and in actual fact hang on a minute who's in control of this situation is it me or is it someone else or you know, and uh, and then and then problems start happening. <laughs> uh, yeah, and th- there there is a beautiful saying that people are uh, doing jobs that they hate to buy things that uh, they don't need to uh, make an impression on people that they don't like. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true, it's yeah. true. And you and you're quite. And I've heard you talk about this before. You're. You, you, you're, you've got a particular bugbear with goals insofar as intrinsic motivations concerned and, and how you can become a goal addict rather than a kind of vision stroke meaning addict. And there's a, there's, there's a journey to be go to be gone on rather than actually right. yeah. the goals becoming a means to an end. Yeah. Because the old thing that the path is the destination is truly to the point, because if you are setting goals, you tell yourself, I will be happy but after I reach the goal. And so you are, you are basically postponing your happiness. But if you reach the goal, you, of course, experience the short burst of dopamine. So you experience some positive emotions. But uh, what you cannot predict is how short this uh, happiness after reaching the goal will look like. And in science, they uh, call this hedonic adaptation. And basically, we know that even if you... Uh, win a uh, gold Olympic medal, or if you win a Nobel Prize, the uh, the short uh, the, the span of the happiness will be very short, like few days, maybe one week, but not more. So basically, for example, we are studying I don't know five six years to get a degree, and then we experience few hours of happiness, mm-hmm. and that's the hedonic adaptation. So that's why. Uh, only focusing on goals, it's not very wise because you spend like a few years working on the goal and then few hours of happiness, maybe a few days. And what people do if they are focused on goals, they set even bigger goals and bigger goals. And we call those people like goal junkies because they are addicted. And it's similar like addiction on uh, other dopamine um, addictions like shopping or those arousal addictions, like uh, addictions on likes on social media and so on. So the more you have, the more you want. And that's that's not a uh, path to happiness. It's part of addiction. So uh, that's why I'm telling people not to focus on goals, but to find the uh, meaning and happiness through the uh, process. So, and it's again based on science because we have... Uh, a lot of evidence that uh, if you enjoy the process, 
you reach even more goals. But as the uh, like, like secondary outcome of the yeah. fact that you enjoy the process. So I love the saying that uh, happiness, uh, you know, the, the success is not the way to happiness. Happiness is the way to success. If you mm. love what you are doing, you will be successful. Mm. So it's just the opposite. Like people are thinking that uh, if I reach the goal, then I will be happy, right? Yeah. Many people have this uh, mindset. But uh, it's just the opposite. If you are happy in the present moment, if you enjoy the process, if you are in the state of flow, uh, if you love the path, then you get even more goals. But mm. for you, it's not that important because you already uh, enjoy the process. So yeah. uh, this is one of the biggest ideas in the modern psychology because uh, I think that a lot of people, uh, they are chasing something and some of them, they are successful. Some uh, are not, but at the end, uh, they experience only short bursts or bursts yeah. of dopamine and uh, they need more and more and more. But mm. the answer to that is no, you don't need to chase uh, bigger goals. You have to enjoy the process yeah. and find a meaning in a present moment rather than the future. Uh, future goal that uh, can never happen mm, it's interesting because the thing is I've it's interesting what you say about athletes actually because what I've noticed as well is that often you know and I'm going to use cycling as an example here there's been very famous cyclists that have kind of won a very big race or a big tour and then all of a sudden they've gone off the rails they've hit hit the drink hit the drugs and whatever it's going to be to that hedon to the hedonic adaptation, but also guys that are retired, they struggle because they're used to that kind of having constant goals and things that they're striving to, and then all yeah. of a sudden their meaning, their their kind of uh, uh, their identity becomes wrapped up in being that professional sports person. But then they kind of like they fall off the kind of cliff, and again, it can be drink, drugs, problem. You know, th there's various different problems. One thing I've often worried. Wondered is that um, we know that, like in endurance sports, you get um, uh, they, they they call it the runner's high, but you also get endorphins, and it, and it makes me wonder whether, like in in endurance sports, you've not just got the kind of dopamine of the winning, the euphoria of winning, but you've also got that um, doing kind of hours and hours of sport. You've got that you've got that um, endorphin euphoria right, as well. Yeah. So you've got a double whammy of chemicals that all of a sudden when you retire, you know, that, that, that one of those is dropping off. Maybe the other one is reducing as well. So you've got all of a sudden, it's yeah. almost like a, an addict coming off of the, that, that, that hit right. of opioids. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I have a friend and she won a uh, gold Olympic medal and she confessed to me when I did an interview with her that uh, it was the worst uh, period of her life after she won a gold Olympic medal because then she was completely empty. Yeah? So, so she basically reached the top and what, what more, yeah? what next? And so sometimes uh, with these uh, top athletes, if they retire or if they uh, reach their goals, it's very difficult to find a new purpose in life. Yeah? Some of them, they, uh, they start to work with kids for example or they uh start to i don't know um have their own businesses but 
I have so many examples of of uh, top athletes that at the end their uh, lives were basically ruined after they retire mm. because yeah. they lost their life vision, they mm. lost their purpose, mm. and it's not easy to uncover the new one if you were I don't know uh, doing uh, top uh, top level sports for 10-15 years yeah you, you basically can do only this that's mm, no hard, other options yeah, it's, it's a hard, hard nut to kind of crack isn't it you talk and one of the things you talk about is this kind of the idea of the uh you know you've you've delved into it there in terms of what people are going to do to what what people can do in order to make their kind of the vision for themselves compelling and one thing you discuss is this idea of the selfless ego which we delved into before we actually hit the record button today. And but, but why do you think is, you know, this very small thing, the selfless ego, why do you think it's so important? And do you think this is kind of the missing link that people are, uh, people are really overlooking at the moment? Right. Because we have parts of the brain that are activated when we do something, not for ourselves, but for others. Uh-huh. And uh, in those moments, we in- experience very strong positive emotions. For example, if you stop next to an accident and if you save someone's life, then probably you will experience the strongest positive emotion in your life. And it's not selfish. Yeah? You don't need uh, to, to do that for yourself. You just do it uh, for someone else. And uh, the reason why we have these uh, emotions this strong emotion of uh, like meaning in life or purpose is because we are uh, we are uh, like our ancestors. They they uh, lived in groups, and you can imagine to have two tribes. Yeah, one tribe uh, was full of selfish individuals, and the second tribe was full of selfless individuals. That there were able to cooperate, they were able to help each other, and so on. And uh, now we have kind of uh, strong evidence that evolution was not just uh, among uh, individuals, but was also among groups. So Mm. the more um, cooperative group had a higher chance of survival. So basically we are are like kids or grandkids or uh, basically... Um, our ancestors were uh, those cooperative uh, individuals. So that's why we have those parts of the brain that are activated when we do something for others. And it's very nice because uh, you can simply update or upgrade your mindset. And if you sometimes do something for others and you don't need something for that, like uh, you don't uh, have to... uh, experience that someone is grateful no you just do that just because uh you will have much more positive emotions in life so those random acts of kindness or uh these moments when you simply uh smile and or help someone or you uh do something that that is uh about priorities of others not yours at the end your life gets much deeper meaning and i truly think that we miss this concept uh at workspace we miss this concept at schools because schools are mostly uh, based on like uh 
make people uh, competitive. Yeah, like being uh, like tested and who's better and uh, and we have this similar uh, environment at workspace. Yeah, we are trying to compare people and even when the social media, we are constantly comparing ourselves, like who has more followers and stuff. But uh, this is the way to uh, unhappiness because if you compare yourself with others, that's the best way to be unhappy. So uh, for me, this is a like future idea or main idea of my new book. I want to write a book about this concept of uh, selfless ego. I call it ego 2.0 because ego 1.0 is selfish and ego 2.0 is selfless. So it's like um, kind of upgraded uh, wisdom of yourself. And uh, I think that we can deploy this strategy in our daily life, in our relationships, at our uh, workspace. And at the end, uh, everyone will be happier, not just others, but uh, even us. Yeah, yeah. And, I, and I've heard it and I've heard this described as in terms of kind of tribes, if you like, as the kind of lone wolf fallacy. So people typically watch, you know, James Bond, Indiana Jones, they're working by themselves, they, they turn up as a hero. But in actual fact, the interviews and the people that I speak to, particularly the military guys, they're working in small, tight-knit units. And this is how small-scale societies operate, and this is how we historically used to operate before we had large-scale societies and mm-hmm. you had these communities and and it was it was a lot more around this. And it's a coincidence that at the same time as we have large-scale societies, mental health issues go up, and then with small-scale societies, they go down. So mm-hmm. we there's something to be learned about being in small-scale societies again. Yeah. And it was beautifully described by Emil Durkheim uh, in, I think, 18th century. And he basically uh, called us a uh, that we are homo duplex. Basically, we have two levels. And first level is the, the individual state. Yeah, we are comparing each other. We want to be uh, successful and stuff. But sometimes uh, something changed in our lives. And we uh, experience this uh, state of uh, altered conscious, like we somehow update, upgrade our self to the uh, communal state. And in that uh, communal state, we are able to um, cooperate with others. We are able to uh, just understand that we are not the most important. So it's like humbling experience. And uh, I think that we are missing this uh, collective state. And sometimes we can get there if we experience like near-death experience, for example. I had this experience twice in my life and it was very strong. Yeah, First experience was when I was 19 years old. It was a med- medical uh, situation. And I was facing my possibility of my death for the first time. And it was very humbling experience. But in that time, my ego just melted. And sometimes you can melt your ego with meditation or with some psychedelic uh, substances or with, I don't know, some people experience this uh, state of um, altered conscious uh, in mountains or simply 
simply sometimes it just happened and mm. this feels amazing like if, if your ego is melted then you feel somehow internally balanced or uh you feel that you are much much uh like wiser or it's 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 just a yeah. uh, you, you realize your ins your own insignificance and your mortality right. simultaneously yeah, yeah. at the same time i love the uh, the the term humbling experience because humbleness is a key virtue like uh i think that a lot of people they <laughs> uh they need to somehow uh change their egoistic uh mindset or life and if they would be humbler uh, that's the mm. best not just for them but for people around them too mm. yeah. i mean some politicians or or some managers or like everyone should be yeah. a little bit more humble yeah there is a kind of modern there's a kind of modern mod there's what I would call like a modern arrogance in the world these days. Right. Yeah, that, yeah. That this hubristic idea that I don't need to know anything. I know right. everything. Yeah. I'm the finished article. No one can teach me anything. Right. So, yeah. uh, but what's interesting, what's, what's also fascinating in terms of talking about ego, ego 2.0 is paradoxically in order to serve others, you need to serve yourself first. And, and this is the bit that I think people get there. I think this is the bit where people kind of get confused because if you are putting everyone else's needs before your own, mm. then you can end up depleted. And, and, and the one thing that always springs to mind in this is um, the ox the safety video on an airplane. It's always, you put your oxygen mask on first because yeah. if you're dead, you're no use to your loved ones yeah. in helping them to get off the plane safely. Right. And, and I think this is where people really miss the point where they're kind of like, self serving others doesn't mean to neglect yourself it means making sure you are 100% um your best or certainly close to your best so that you can give your best to others right and i think it's false dilemma it's not one thing or another it's not like being selfish or selfless you can combine those uh two things together so you have to find like the win win uh situation between ego 1.0 that is selfish and ego 2.0 that is selfless for example if i deliver my talks i truly enjoy that i love it and it's uh helpful to others so i don't need to like uh think that it's uh something uh like like dilemma no it's not you can find things or actions or or tasks that just combine those two domains together and i think that's the uh main answer how to have a sustainable happy life mm. and to serve others but being uh happy by yourself yeah. on the way yeah and that's and that circles really nicely to what we were saying about boundaries earlier on as well because we were saying about we were talking about how sometimes it's necessary to put boundaries in place in right. order for yeah. you to do deep work and do your most meaningful impactful work which is not to say that you're not going to serve people but in order to to, to make the impact you need to have boundaries around your 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 own needs and wants in order yeah. to make the impact the, the true impact on others that you want so you're saying no to one thing in order to make the big yes on the other thing 
Right. This 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 is a uh, core of good good time management to have the courage to uh, like save boundaries for yourself because at the end uh, if you are able to save uh, your primary needs then you are able to help even more because you have time for yourself you have time for your sleep and then you have energy to give uh, things to others if you are unable to have like these boundaries then uh, you are just giving others but you are losing so at the end you are you you have a, a big risk of burnout you uh, can be a victim of crime or you can be in those abusive relationships because uh, all those people they simply don't have the courage to say no and at the end uh, they are easy to to be uh, manipulated with uh, or by others and i think that this is a core of good time management or having a successful and happy life is to have the courage to say no i love it i love it it's been a fascinating conversation we've had this evening and we've kind of delved we've interweaved uh we've interweaved pro- uh, procrastination with meaning and vision and stuff which 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 i'm glad we did because it's it's it's, it's amazing when you start extrapolating some of these key concepts how interlinked they are with other other things that kind of fit in those same family of topics if that makes any sense right so, uh, yeah i uh, i think it's uh it's definitely a conversation necessary to have for people that are listening and watching peter what's the best way for them to find out about the work you do and 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 the projects that you've got coming up in the next little while yeah it's very easy to remember uh because we have a, a website that is very simple it's procrastination.com so if you uh want to find uh some uh like online trainings or we have an online course too so if you want to know more procrastination.com is the best site <laughs> and you can connect me on social media too on on linkedin or on instagram so uh, i'm everywhere but uh, i'm mostly on instagram because it's it's still kind of nice you have pictures of cats there and <laughs> facebook is full of politics so i'm like kind of pissed off with facebook recently yeah 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 Yeah. my last question to you and uh it won't be a surprise uh but it's a question that i ask all guests that come onto the podcast what is it in life peter that gives you meaning well i uh have it uh on my on my wall there okay i have my uh life vision somewhere there on the wall so i can tell you (laughs) And for me, um, I truly love uh, to educate. Yeah, I truly love to read a lot of books or scientific papers and to simplify them and to give the core knowledge to others. So for me, it's uh, about helping others, but uh, using my two main uh, values. And first is evidence-based approach. So that's why I love those scientific studies because I love evidence-based approach. I love critical thinking. It's one of my uh, main uh, values or uh, virtues. And the second is uh, to focus uh, on simplicity because as I told you, I love minimalism and I think that we are overwhelmed by so many ideas, so many concepts. We have so many 
books and uh, we have so many articles around. And I truly just want to grab the main parts and to simplify them and give them um, to people and to um, help them to have a shortcut. So it's a combination of, of uh, evidence-based approach and simplicity. Mm, yeah. That's my life life mission. Because yeah. if you, if you go through the book, it has many pictures, many di- diagrams. I draw them all. So it's my like artwork and... I truly love to uh, explain things visually because I believe that one uh, drawing is better than thousands of words. Mm, yeah, and it, and it did make it a lot easier when you, when I was digesting the book actually. And I think, yeah, I think there is a, I think it's a, it's the kiss analogy, isn't it? Keep it simple, stupid, yeah, and I yeah, think that is, rings true. Yeah, in yeah. so it's such a good one to come back to. I'm going to show you something actually as you're as you're as you're uh, as you've shown me the picture on your wall i'm just going to grab this and so the people that are um the people that are actually going to be uh, listening to this I'm, I'm going to read it out so don't worry you won't miss out on it on anything if you're not watching this on youtube so so so, so this is this is a frankel quote and it says uh, life is never made unbearable by circumstances, but only by lack of meaning and purpose. Yeah, that's my life too. So we both love Viktor Frankl and uh, he had amazing influence on my life and I guess on your uh, life too. So I think that meaning is the highest achievement. Like this, this is this is it yeah? to ask like, what is the meaning and uh, try to be like a uh, like useful uh, part of the whole, yeah. yeah. Because what more? Yeah. yeah, exactly, exactly. It's been a fantastic conversation. I appreciate your time in speaking to us Thank you uh, so today, much, Peter. Yeah. It was an absolute pleasure. Um, I'm going to wish you all the very best with the projects that you've got coming up. I know you're working on another book at the moment as well. Uh, we kind of alluded to that in the conversation tonight. Um, so thank you very much for coming on, sir. Thank you so much, Joe. And it was amazing. I truly enjoyed this conversation too, because for me, uh, it's, it's the core what we discussed. Sometimes I have questions about procrastination, how to make a better to-do list, but you just, uh, digged into the main, uh, ideas and the main idea is the purpose and meaning. So thank you so much for that. My pleasure. My pleasure. My there you go, Peter. A big thanks to Peter for joining me. If you want to check him out, he's on Instagram and LinkedIn at Peter Ludwig. His book, The End to Procrastination, is on Amazon. And you can check out his website over at procrastination.com. There's a ton of resources on there and also a course that you can do as well. Uh, If anything resonated from this episode, link up with me on Instagram or Facebook. Let me know what uh, what you think. It's a topic that really kind of encapsulates a lot of what we go through as dads and particularly as we get older uh, the things that we hold ourselves back from doing so anything resonated with this uh, hit me up on instagram or facebook or equally ping uh, peter a message a dm or comment on one of his posts on instagram he'd love to hear from you there's also a video of this interview over on the guild of dads youtube channel and you can link up with me over on twitter instagram or facebook using the handle at guild of dads I'm teaching you how to follow a simple system and plan just like many of my guests in order to transform all areas of your life. 
so that you can live more purposefully with much greater fulfillment and meaning and start the journey at the same time as becoming the man and dad you always wanted to be. It's all in my ebook, The Dad Blueprint. You can grab it free at guildofdads.com forward slash dad, which is D-A-D in capital letters. In order to have a positive impact on the world, we improve ourselves and inspire others. And the fee for this show is that you share it. Share it with others so that they may benefit from anything you find useful or interesting. If you know someone that could do with improving their relationship, could do with a life rethink or different perspective, share this episode with them. And the best bit, you don't have to tell them why you're sharing it with them, but it could be just what they need to hear. If you enjoy this podcast, please leave me a review and rating on uh, Apple iTunes or Apple Podcasts on your app uh, or on the uh, PC or Mac, whatever it is going to be, because it really helps me to grow the audience numbers and and help other people to discover the conversations that I have on Guild of Dads, the community and what I'm starting here. I want to thank you guys who get behind me on a weekly basis. We're continuing to grow Guild of Dads. We're continuing to grow the uh, Facebook group numbers. So if you want to check out the Facebook group, uh, Guild of Dads Facebook group, you can find out uh, uh, what's going on over there. There are some fascinating discussions we do have in there. Hopefully, you find something insightful in every episode, so share it with dads you know, and in the meantime, live a life of vision, action, and meaning. Apply what you hear, and we'll see you next time.